Well, the scripture reading this week is from Psalm 7. We'll read the whole of uh, the chapter, Psalm chapter 7. So uh, hear now the word of the Lord. O Lord my God, in you do I take refuge. Save me from all my pursuers and deliver me, lest like a lion they tear my soul apart, rending it in pieces with none to deliver. O Lord my God, if I have done this, if there is wrong in my hands, if I have repaid my friend with evil or plundered my enemy without cause, let the enemy pursue my soul and overtake it, and let him trample my life to the ground and lay my glory in the dust. Arise, O Lord, in your anger. Lift yourself up against the fury of my enemies. Awake for me. You have appointed a judgment. Let the assembly of the peoples be gathered about you. Over it return on high. The Lord judges the peoples. Judge me, O Lord, according to my righteousness and according to the integrity that is in me. Oh, let the evil of the wicked come to an end and may you establish the righteous. You who test the minds and hearts, O righteous God. My shield is with God who saves the upright in heart. God is a righteous judge and a God who feels indignation every day. If a man does not repent, God will wet his sword. He has bent and readied his bow. He has prepared for him his deadly weapons, making his arrows fiery shafts. Behold, the wicked man conceives evil and is pregnant with mischief and gives birth to lies. He makes a pit, digging it out, and falls into the hole that he has made. His mischief returns upon his own head, and on his skull his violence descends. This is the word of the Lord. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, as we come to your word, which is proclaimed to us, help us to understand the truth of the gospel that is revealed in it to us, and Give us a, a pattern, a model for a prayer for you as, um, as those who may be in need of vindication, that we may find comfort in, and refuge in our Deliverer, the Lord Jesus Christ. So build up our faith and glorify yourself for this morning hour. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. So you've been wrongly accused. What do you do? Do you complain to a friend? Do you begin an elaborate plot of vengeance? Uh, or do you come to the Lord in prayer like the psalmist? Well, that is a question worth pondering. Some of us may have experienced significant slander and false accusations in our lives. Uh, maybe it's something we're experiencing now, or maybe it's something you'll experience in future. It's certainly something all believers experience at the, at the hands of uh, the evil one who seeks to undermine and destroy our faith with his accusations. But here in the psalm, we have a model of uh, a godly prayer for vindication that relies on the righteousness of God. So many have pondered uh, over the psalm and tried to figure out what this occasion was that led to the psalmist making this prayer. And a couple of options have been promulgated over the years, but we don't actually know exactly what led to this prayer. 
However, we can tell the nature of the situation by the words that are used by the psalmist, uh, because he seems to say that he has pursuers and enemies that are after him. And it seems like there's an accusation because he says, oh, Lord, my God, in verse three, if I have done this, well, it doesn't tell us what this is, but there is some explanation. If there's wrong in my hands, if I have repaid my ally with evil or have plundered my enemy without cause, these seem to be accusations that have been leveled against the psalmist. And his response is to go to the Lord in prayer. And what we'll see across this psalm is that justice actually also means salvation. Because the two happen at the same time when God tries the case of the one who is falsely accused. See, the psalm starts with a, a, a personal cry to the Lord as someone who has been uh, falsely accused, perha- accused, perhaps betrayed, slandered, and is being chased unto death. And it finally moves to the conviction that God is the righteous judge of all the earth and that the wicked people will get their comeuppance. Ultimately, wickedness will fall in on its own head. And the result of the psalmist moving through this psalm is that he ends up with a note of praise, praising God as the, the righteous deliverer. It's worth making mention a little bit about how to read the Psalms in this case, because as you would have noticed reading, reading the Psalms over the years, that there are all sorts of different kinds of Psalms. They seem to have different tones or attitudes or different purposes behind them. And this is a Psalm which we would call a personal lament. Uh, personal because it involves a particular person. Sometimes you have corporate laments, but this is a personal lament, this person's own situation. And it has a, what you might call a subcategory, which is uh, an assertion of innocence. So this is, um, this is a lament, but one that asserts a person's innocence. Uh, every lament in the Psalms has four parts to it. It has an address to God. It has a complaint where the issue is laid out. It has a petition where the psalmist calls on the Lord to do something. And then finally, it ends with a confession where the person praises the Lord for some kind of attribute. So we have an address, a complaint, a petition, and a confession. And this begins, the psalm then, with this address to the Lord. He says, O Lord, my God, in you do I take refuge. A refuge is a commonly used idea in the psalms. God, as covenant Lord, is a hiding place for his people. Uh, Nahum 1.7 says that the Lord is good, a stronghold, a fortress of refuge. He knows those who uh, rest in him. So this person praying to the Lord, the psalmist, sees God as his safe hiding place. And he comes to him not as a physical location in which to hide, but rather to the God who can answer his prayer, save me from all my pursuers and deliver me. What's he afraid of that his pursuers want to do? 
Well, he's like a lion. They are going to they are going to eat at my throat. Is the better way to translate this? That they will tear my neck out. That's they're out for blood. His enemies, rending it in pieces with none to deliver. So if God doesn't show up to deliver the psalmist, there is no one else who can deliver him. Uh, if God doesn't show up, the enemy wins. And so he shows that he's relying on the Lord uh, to deliver him. And so he says, now, as a motivation to God, he could just say, uh, for you have promised to do X, Y, and Z. But no, he says, if I have done this, if there is wrong in my hands, if I have repaid, and you should translate this as, um, if I've repaid my ally with evil. So this is talking about mistreating his uh, co-kings. If I have mistreated an ally or plundered an enemy without cause, committed a war crime, then, yeah, let my enemy pursue me and overtake me and tear out my neck and trample me to the ground and lay my glory, his life, lay it in the dust. Meaning, if I have actually done what they say I've done, then let them do what they're going to do. In other words, I am innocent. So deliver me. And what does he, what does he, what does he say here? He's got three ifs. Okay. It's like a challenge to God. If this is the case, then let that happen. But the assumption is, this is not the case. So Lord, deliver me. And what does he rely upon in terms of knowing that the Lord will deliver? Well, he, he calls the Lord to arise. And he says, awake. These are images of, of sleeping, as, it, as if God's judgment is currently uh, having a night off. And he says, get up, Lord. Arise as a warrior. Get to battle in your anger. Lift yourself up against the fury of my enemies. Awake for me. And then what does he say? You have appointed a judgment. The psalmist is confident that a day of reckoning has been appointed by God at some point. But he says, so make today that day, Lord, arise, awake for the judgment and let the assembly of the peoples be gathered about you. So this is a, a big event. Let the nations see you judge the wicked and vindicate your righteous one. And he begins a psalm, a kind of, sorry, a song of a, of a sense now to say, Lord, why should you do this? Well, he proclaims the song of the Lord's righteousness. The Lord judges the peoples. Judge me, O Lord, according to my righteousness and according to the integrity that is in me. Well, for us, paying attention to that, that is an interesting thing to say. The Lord judges the peoples. Judge me, O Lord, according to my righteousness. Well, what does the psalmist mean by that? Judge me according to my righteousness. So arise, warrior judge, and begin your judgment, and you will be able to judge me. I am righteous. 
That's an interesting thing for the psalmist to say. Does that mean that the psalmist has never sinned? That the the righteous one is, is perfect? That in his righteousness, the psalmist is perfect? Well, no, that can't be the case because we know that no one is purely self-righteous. You can actually look at other Psalms to see that. Psalm 130 verse 3, Psalm 143 verse 2. No, no one is perfect. No one is good. So what does he mean? Well, righteousness is a term that has a number of meanings. And here, righteousness refers to doing right in the covenant community or doing right amongst those you have a bond with. So he's saying, I haven't done the things that they say I have done. In relation to my promises to the nations, I have been righteous, meaning I have been upright. I have not violated my word. I have not violated my oaths. That's what he's saying here. You can look at my actions, Lord, and you'll see that I have been faithful to the promises that I made. And that's why he can say, and according to the integrity that is in me, meaning he knows he is innocent of these charges. And so the Lord can judge him according to his his innocence. And that's why he's able to say, oh, in verse nine, let the evil of the wicked come to an end. And may you establish the righteous, you who test the minds and hearts, a righteous God. So what is he saying? Well, God's appointed time of judgment is going to separate between the wicked and the righteous. And what will happen to the wicked? Their devices and everything will all come to an end. And what will happen to the righteous? They will be established. And don't we learn that all the way back in Psalm 1? That Psalm 1 sets up this, these parting points, a fork in the road for humanity. That will be expressed all the way throughout the Psalms, that they are the righteous and they are the wicked. These are two ways, two roads, two paths. Well, this psalmist knows that he is numbered among the righteous. And so he can depend on God who he can call upon for deliverance because he knows that God tests the minds and the hearts. Since God is the righteous God, the righteous judge. Well, basically the logic of the psalmist is that him being delivered is conditional upon him being innocent. And asserting this before the Lord, he says, I am one of your innocent ones. Come and deliver me. And what does he contrast this again with? Well, he says, my shield is with God. What is that? My defense is the Lord who saves the upright in heart. Those who love God. And why would he do this? Well, because God is a righteous judge. Verse 11. God is a righteous judge and a God who feels indignation every day. This is worth dwelling upon because there are books upon books written about how God is good in a way that is is humans determining what goodness means. Because they say God God is not angry. God is in a good mood. Well, 
God says to us in his word that he feels indignation every day. This word is derived from an idea which is uh, to, to almost be cursing. Uh, God feels cursing wrath every day. Why? Because he's a righteous judge. Being, feeling indignation is in parallel with being a righteous judge. Only a wicked judge would look upon wickedness and go, what a great day. What a, that's fine that that's going on. No, because God is righteous, because he is holy, because he is just, he looks upon wickedness and feels indignation and wrath and rage. Now, that goes quite contrary to some people's theology about God. But they will find that they meet a very different God to the God of their imaginings. And that God is portrayed in the next several verses. Verse 12 says, If a man does not repent, God will wet his sword. Now this image is essentially to, to sharpen, like on a grind, grindstone. So if you've ever seen in a movie before an execution takes place, sometimes cartoons or whatever, you have the executioner grinding his blade on a stone, just preparing for his, his duties. Well, that's how God is being described, as somebody who's preparing judgment for the man who does not repent. He has bent and readied his bow. He's prepared for him deadly weapons, making his arrows fiery shafts. So God is portrayed here as this powerful divine warrior. This image, bent and readied bow, that means that there is that bow is pregnant with wrath. It's ready to fire off. Uh, God has made his preparations as the avenging, avenging warrior that's aimed at that man who does not repent. So every, every unrepentant sinner walking around has a red dot on their forehead of God's wrath. And he's, he's got aim at everyone at the same time. That's terrifying. An omnipresent divine warrior. <laughs> An all-powerful divine warrior. That means that if he chooses to execute his justice, he will accomplish his plan. There's no way of escaping his sword, his bow, his deadly weapons. And so the psalmist goes to say, Behold, the wicked man conceives evil and is pregnant with mischief and gives birth to lies. You see, there's three words there that are all pregnancy type terms. Conceives evil, pregnant with mischief, and gives birth to lies. Talking about this whole process from start to finish of how uh, evil is, is birthed. And this is actually a similar image to what we find in uh, James 1.15. We get a cycle there where we see desire, which results in sin, and sin eventually leads to death. Now, this is the cycle that happens the, that scripture says the desire when it is conceived gives birth to sin and sin when it is fully grown brings forth death. So the, the evil person is being spoken of as pregnant with evil 
And God is spoken of as being pregnant with judgment. So even as this person conceives and gives birth to evil, God is storing up and preparing his righteous judgment. Now, this imagery comes from Deuteronomy 32, this divine warrior imagery. Remember after Egypt, uh, the Israelites have been de- de- delivered from the Egyptians, Moses sings a song to the people. And here's a couple of verses from that, Deuteronomy 32, where God is portrayed as a warrior. See if you can see the similarity of the language. If I sharpen my flashing sword and my hand takes hold on judgment, I will take vengeance on my adversaries and will repay those who hate me. I will make my arrows drunk with blood and my sword shall devour flesh with the blood of the slain and the captives from the long-haired heads of the enemy. Rejoice with him, O heavens, bow down to him, all gods, for he avenges the blood of his children and takes vengeance on his adversaries. He repays those who hate him and cleanses his people's hands. This is the God who delivered Israel out of Egypt. And David calls upon this warrior to deliver him. Now, ultimately, what Psalmist continues to say is that because of what the wicked man does, eventually it's all going to come home to roost. He makes a pit, digging it out, and falls into the hole that he had made. His mischief returns on his own head, and on his own skull his violence descends. Meaning, there's no way of escaping the results of what he's done. In fact, all of his wicked outputs will become instruments of his own judgment. Describing it as a a pit, um, something that he eventually actually falls into, reaping the consequences. Now, God is ultimately the agent of judgment in this, but the person is getting what they deserve. The individual is responsible for what falls upon his own head. So why has the psalmist done this? Why has he sung this song about God's judgment and his um, and what the result will be for the wicked? Well, he is preaching to himself the truth about God's appointed judgment that he had already spoken about earlier. That he knows that ultimately God is going to do right. That he is going to right wrongs and judge wickedness and... At the same time, by doing that, establish the righteous. Because what did it say there in Exodus, uh, um, Deuteronomy, sorry, Rejoice with him, O heavens, bow down to him, all gods, for he avenges the blood of his children and takes vengeance on his adversaries. He repays those who hate him and cleanses his people's land. Now, these events are one. When God judges the wicked... He cleanses the lands and establishes the righteous. And that too will happen in a future cosmic judgment when God will judge his enemies and he will uh, purify so that only the righteous are in the new heavens and the new earth. That their lands will be undefiled by enemies, by the wicked. 
In heaven, there will be no one pursuing us. There will be no accusers. There will be no lions after our necks. Instead, as the shepherd imagery of Exodus shows, we will live as God's flock, as his people, and he will be our God. That we will have a paradise where there is nothing to fear, where there is perfect safety. But that judgment has not yet occurred. And so we live in a time and space in anticipation of that day. So what do we do? Because it may often be the case that we are slandered and falsely accused. We may be persecuted. The government may actually come for our own blood one day. That's a possibility. That happens now for believers throughout the world. So what can they do? They can pray this prayer. Now, some may feel that praying for the judgment of God's enemies and their deliverance is, is somehow contradicts what Jesus said, which was to pray for your enemies and not to hate them. Well, it's not a contradiction to pray for our deliverance. Um, and it doesn't preclude us from p- praying for those who are persecuting us. But it is right to pray for deliverance. And it is right to pray out of a concern for God's glory that he will judge the nations and that he will punish the wicked and establish the righteous. Nothing changed about God uh, between testaments. God is who he is and God's people have always lived by faith in him. So this is a prayer that we can pray that God will vindicate us when we are falsely accused. It is also an implicit warning, however, though, for the person who is not innocent but is living in flagrant and unrepentant sin should have no expectation that God is going to deliver them in this way. So for those who are in unrepentant sin, they must turn from that sin and trust in the Lord. But, but for us who have repented of our sins and trust in the Lord Jesus Christ, we have every reason to expect that we can call upon God to be our refuge and to deliver us. Now, when that day of appointed judgment comes is up to the Lord and only he knows it. And so we may experience extended persecution. And in fact, it may be that we have to wait until that day before we have deliverance from our persecutions. But what is to give us strength for that is the very nature of the suffering of our Lord Jesus Christ, who was falsely accused and yet was not delivered by God from the false accusations, but was tried, convicted, and executed for those very false accusations. That we may have not just righteousness that we haven't done a violation of particular promises, but that we actually have the, the, the righteousness of Christ who has obeyed the law on our behalf that guarantees for us 
that we will stand in the assembly of the righteous and not be numbered amongst the assembly of the wicked. So when the nations are gathered about God and he returns over it on high as judge, that is a day for us to ask for and long for, not a day to fear. Westminster Confession of Faith 33.1 says that God has appointed a day where he will, where he will judge the reprobate but it is an act of mercy for the elect. So if you've been told that on judgment day you will be hauled before a tribunal and, and judged uh, but then found innocent, that's a chronological mistake. Your judgment took place when Christ was judged on the cross. So the day of the Lord and his return is the, delay, is the day of your deliverance, not the day of your judgment. It is the day of the judgment of his enemies, where they will be put under his feet as a footstool, where they will be consigned to eternal hell, and you will be welcomed into the presence of the Most High, the righteous judge. So this is a prayer you can pray without fear. And that's what leads the psalmist to be able to end on the note that he does, or the note of praise. I will give to the Lord the thanks due to his righteousness. And I will sing praise to the name of the Lord, the Most High. Why should we thank the Lord for his righteousness? Because he is the righteous judge. So this deliverance, there's a guaranteed answer to this prayer. It may not be temporal and right now. But it is guaranteed that by the day of appointed judgment, you will be freed from all accusations, from all enemies, to live in perfect peace with the Lord forever. So that is for us a model of the prayer of the righteous. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you that you give words for us to utter to you in times when we have been falsely accused or chased after or persecuted, that we can utter these words and praise you as our judge and deliverer, knowing that, uh, you, that you will vindicate the oppressed, that you will vindicate the falsely accused, all because uh, Christ suffered unjustly, <laughs> Uh, in light of his innocence on our behalf so that we can now stand before you truly innocent uh, because Christ was judged as, as guilty on our behalf. And we, we thank you that as proof that you accept uh, his righteousness, you raised him from the dead and us with him unto everlasting life for your glory. So help us to sing uh, these uh, to pray these, uh, the psalm, but also to sing these praises that you are righteous, that we give thanks to you and we will sing to your name, the Most High, forever until you return to deliver us. So we thank you and praise you uh, for Jesus' sake, in whose name we pray. Amen. Well, let's uh, confess.